0: Have you got some time on your hands in between sprints or testing features? Then take advantage of that time to learn something new. With Ministry of Testing Pro Membership, you can decide your own learning path. You could spend an hour watching a recorded talk, or you could start that course you've been meaning to take. If you'd prefer live learning opportunities, you can attend a 99 minute workshop or join us at a test bash. It's all included as part of your pro membership so that you can design your ideal learning pathway. So grab yourself a fantastic learning opportunity now and go pro with Ministry of Testing. Welcome to Test Roulette, the podcast where my panel guests could be asked to discuss any testing topic decided by randomly selected Test cards. I'm your host, Simon Pryor. Let's talk testing. Happy New Year. Happy 2022. And welcome to episode eight of the Test Roulette podcast. Uh... I'm joined by two more testing superstars which I'll allow them to introduce themselves now starting with Jim.
1: Hello, uh, so my name is Jem Hill. I am a principal quality engineer at Kazoo. I mostly focus on like the communication and the working together the soft skill side of testing. Thanks Jim. And Ida?
2: Yeah, I'm uh, Ida. I'm living in the Netherlands, Ida Coops. I'm 27 years old. I have a girlfriend, father of two lovely boys. I've been test in been in testing for, I think, 14 years now in various roles. Um, and my course is absolutely about helping people and organizations to get insights in things which threaten value and make better choices. And, yeah, because of that, I'm also really fan of risk and test here, so using uh, the cards a lot.
0: Cool. Good. So the format, then, I will... Um... Spin the wheel. Any any card can be selected. We'll then talk through it for a few minutes um, and see where the conversations take us. And then when the conversation dries up, we'll move on to the next one. Um, if you're all happy, then we will spin the wheel for the first time. Okay, I'm spinning the wheel now. And it's landed on indifferent, which is a feeling, negative feeling. Mentally, you've all but given up on the project. You don't care about its success or failure. During team meetings, you raise important problems that should get a higher priority. No one seems to react or even listen. You're feeling ignored. Any thoughts on this?
2: Well, in a lot of projects, it is something uh, you want into and especially when um, when going to the end of a project and uh, finding bugs, seeing bugs, seeing things, uh, but not being able to address them in the organization or get enough priority for them because of people feeling indifferent to it. And that's really a challenge uh, which more than often I have to deal with and uh, sometimes also need some assistance from other people.
1: Yeah, I think that's something about like... Especially on like drawn out projects that have been drawn out for whatever reason, not internal or external reasons. There's only so much like energy you can give, right, to a thing. And after a while, I just like, whatever, what is going to happen is going to happen regardless of what I do. So I think part of it is part of it is kind of managing those within yourself, I think, right? Like, where is this and in, this indifference coming from? Is it external or is it something within you? and maybe then you can figure out how to re-energize yourself if that's appropriate or just to ride it out if nothing's going to change and there's a deadline in sight, you know?
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's um, it's certainly a common feeling, especially when it comes to um, some of the projects I've been on where it's been more waterfall-y style and, and everyone wants to rush to get the project out and it gets to the testing phase at the end um, and you're raising defects left, right and centre, but no one cares because they want it to hit the deadline and get it out the door um like you say it's about trying to balance that but also trying to find the right way to get through it to make sure we release the right level of quality um what have you done in the past with projects that have gone like that to uh ensure the level of quality and ensure the defects that you're raising do get considered
2: yeah well it's uh, first of all it's creating the, those insights so so which which facts do you have Um, and and who cares about those facts who are your stakeholders who should be caring. Um, And sometimes it's also about finding other routes to find someone who um, or someone who is saying, yeah, but I do care and this shouldn't be happening. So um, uh, how can I help you or how can we address this? Um, So uh, about finding the step to address those things. And that's most of the time uh, the thing I'm doing. Yeah, so, so, finding some partners to help with this. Um, yeah, and also sometimes the outcome is, yeah, well, um, if no one cares, then perhaps let it go and accept it. But that's not uh, the most uh, preferred solution, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, definitely thing about finding allies is really important just finding even if nothing gets done just having someone else that goes yeah no i see it i see how important this is that can really help just because it doesn't feel like you're the only person banging your head against the wall going am i speaking <laughs> yeah, a different exactly. language am i not what's going yeah. on you know so having even just having the other person going i see you i know can be really important um and also just making sure that the uh, as you said the people who care or the people who should care know the implications, even if you can't get them to care, just to make sure that you've done that communication of this isn't working. This is what this could mean in terms of the effect it has on the project or the people using it or whatever, or it will be a lot harder to fix when we're finished than now that kind of stuff. Um, But yeah, I think finding allies regardless of the outcome is super important in that situation.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. Um, just reading off the card then. The team has worked really hard. The product is released and then radio silence. You see activity in the logs, but you get no feedback. It's as if the users don't care. Any experience with that at all? You've released something and got no feedback at all on how it's doing, how it's performing, whether the customers like it.
2: That could be two things. Uh, for, um, or my expectations were one. So I think something was important, but the users don't see it at that. Um, so then I have to work on, on my expectations, but often also the, the expectations of others uh, in the project, uh, because often I have some kind of a leading role in that, that one. Um, or there's something else happening. So they don't have time to give it attentions because they are already overflowed with information or perhaps also deadlines and other issues could be happening on that place so they see it happening but they can't find a place to address it and then it could be a serious issue for uh, the business so that's something to investigate and again find allies or address risks on the proper place.
1: Yeah I find the idea of customer feedback really interesting I've worked on because I used to work in agency like five or so years ago and I've worked on more sites that were like just information based than I have like e-commerce sites. I've worked on like local council websites, hospital websites, and we kind of didn't expect feedback from them because we weren't aiming for our users to be delighted or engaged. We were aiming on them spending as little time on the website actually as they need to, to get the information that they need and then go on with that, you know? So I think a lot of it also is what do you expect? What do the users expect? from your website are they just there to get something done and move out even if it's the e-commerce website if you're selling something that is is not shiny and exciting or whatever then maybe people going to the website getting their stuff done and then leaving yeah. again is actually a sign that your website yeah, is working well
0: yeah yeah hmm. i think i think sometimes we have these um ideas as the internal product team that are working on something that everyone's going to absolutely love what we're developing and releasing and if we love it then they'll all love it and actually everyday joe blogs on the street is not necessarily going to think twice about the fact that you've changed the way your website is designed as long as they can still do their simple task that they need to do and get off the website again and and yeah i think absolutely i think you're right cool any other final comments on on this card before we move on to the next one No, feeling indifferent about it. Good. Okay. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, let's move on then. I'll spin the wheel again. And it's landed on a green techniques card. It's personas. Testing and analysing from the viewpoint of agreed-upon generated user profiles. You identify Arch users and test from their point of view. For example, Tracy from finance department. She finds language important and knows a lot about contracts. Any experience with personas?
1: Personally, I've not had use them a huge amount, to be honest with you. Maybe on a couple of projects, but not, not a huge amount of use um, on my part.
2: Yeah, in, my, uh, in uh, some projects I've been, uh, personas were absolutely key in getting the right insights, um, the right um, key requirements, and, and um, yeah, what should the application do? And especially when you have different user groups, personas are really important to get all those views. Um, and uh, it really helps them to pinpoint uh, and to discuss the solutions. So, yeah, using personas and especially in the BDD context hey, with the 3 Amigos sesi, uh creating personas could really get that proper. Um, it's really helpful in getting uh, the right start for your project.
1: Yeah, because I guess they, ask, they add like specific contexts, something for you to like plan around as opposed to a general, what are the requirements of this website? It's like this person's coming in, here's their context.
2: Yeah, but what if someone is. A um, visual um, uh, handicapped, or what if we have a user which has, for example, I now uh, work at a library. Um, what if a user is not really um, handy with all those digital systems? Yeah, so, the eight year old, which can't work with a, with a PC, should be able to uh, uh, find in the catalog uh, a book. Yeah, th- those are personas which we need to do something for.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I, I think I've mentioned it before when we've, we've talked about accessibility on previous episodes where, um, you know, you, the elderly being able to do do something, a simple task, might take them three times as long as somebody else. Um, and use the example of a ticketing website where they're buying tickets and you've got the timer of six minutes to get your booking done through. That can create anxiety and panic. And, and, and someone that's especially particularly slow with, with, with making the mouse movements or, or clicking the buttons um it can create a, and generate an additional um handicap that that doesn't have to be there um and personas sometimes can can work through that
2: yeah but also it can help you in the point of view of authorizations or what yes, a person absolutely. can do hey, if you have an, an department and you have two or three super users they could be allowed to have more uh, features because they know how to work with it well the less experienced people don't have that. So you can differentiate your product on that, but then it's handy with testing to keep those personas in mind and to look and to discuss also with those users if it's fit for their purpose.
0: Yeah, I would absolutely agree. So just just reading on the card on on the back of that. So like you say, personas can be real users or archetypes, such as the power user or the kid. Can you generate random personas with TestSphere? So I mean, that's a good point. I mean, if you look at TestSphere as as an activity, you could apply different personas to some of the testing to see what outcomes that has. So there's an additional approach there to look at. Okay. Um, Well, we're flying through them. so any other comments on personas before we move on to the next one? Nope. Okay. Let me, let me spin the wheel again then. Okay. And it's landed on a quality aspect card, which is impartiality. Software built by humans imitates the social structures that are considered normal by those humans. These includes their biases, favoritisms, and prejudices. Advancement in AI and machine learning pushes us to confront the worst in the human world and do something about it. Any thoughts on this?
2: Oh, it's a difficult one. And it could, yeah, I can imagine this is happening especially when you have, for example, software developers in, in a certain area or having offshore software developers um, while well, building something for a client who lives in another country or in another culture or with another uh, type of users, then I can think of stuff which will happen here or, or especially with, with AI decisions where you can think of outcomes which shouldn't be expected or shouldn't deliver value or even bring negative value.
1: Yeah, I mean there was a story in the UK probably like 5 6 years ago now where there was a gym um that had male and female changing rooms and uh, a woman went to the gym and couldn't access the female changing rooms and then they found out that she put her title down as doctor and the developers that developed it had hard coded doctor to be male. <laughs> so their website couldn't deal with a female wow. doctor. And so obviously yes. they have to change that because that's quite yes, a big bias to be putting into your, into yes. your software.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: And so it can be just little things like that where it's just things that, like almost, obviously that's a big thing and you'd think that would be something they thought of, but it's that thing of just like different cultures, different people, different languages, right? There are loads of gendered languages about um, where different words are specific to different genders and all that kind of stuff. So it's more about like the more you spread out to different countries, the more you then have to be aware of what words mean, how people use different words, and also what you know what's going on, what the different biases could be from your teams in different countries as well.
0: Yeah, totally agree. I mean, the example on the card as well talks about um, you know credit ratings for a married couple that have been married for twenty years. The man can get you know ten times more credit than the woman can um, due to the AI algorithms and stuff like that. And as a tester, what can we do to to to, to help remove those biases? Um, what would be the techniques that we'd use?
2: Well, I, we already hit personas, which which can be yep. really useful. If you think of business logic, yeah, what kind of users do we have? Are there differences between them? Um, and really looking also in, into um, the areas where business logic is is defined. Yeah, on, on which conditions do you make which decisions? well, those are the parts where um, this quality aspect is really uh, working on. Um, And and especially when making use of of AI and machine learning, yeah, well, biases are really um, a tricky part in those.
1: Yeah, I mean, deep down it is looking at, like, the information, the data that your business decisions are made on, and then also telling, like, machine learning, the training data that you're training your machines on making sure that that data isn't just isn't biased um so that the machine learning isn't picking up your biases in your data because again it's just learning what we tell it to learn so we've got to be aware of our own biases within our data
0: yeah and what what about the the yeah. conversations you know being involved as early as possible to to have those conversations on the requirements to make sure that you know the biases are removed as as, as early as we can. Uh, you know, challenging the challenging the requirements, etc., etc. Too.
2: Yeah. Well, as a tester, uh, in my opinion, you always should be um, be joining those kind of discussions as soon as possible. Um, and when talking about biases or or this kind of aspects, uh, you could also look for partners within the organization to address this kind of issues so have someone for example with a privacy hat on look into this what kind of information are we making decisions on and could that be biased but also a lot of talks but also checklists on how can you prevent your company from building in some kind of decisions which could be biased for example taking nationality or culture into account when making choices should you automate those or should you make those even part of your decision? Because the risk of a bias is huge.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's about having those conversations. And I think, yeah, finding out lies is another big thing just because it can be difficult to be having those conversations and pushing back and pointing out, oh, hey, we may be coding this bias into this thing. And that can be quite hard to talk about and quite hard to hear. Right, People can get quite defensive. So I think even just relieving the pressure of you being the only person in the room that's constantly going, have we thought about this? Have we thought about this? Can be really helpful, as well as just having someone to back you up in those conversations.
0: Absolutely agree. And I've certainly been in scenarios before where um, these kind of decisions, I mean, not even AI related, just someone coding something into the system and, and... not thinking about all eventualities, not thinking about the gender difference, not thinking about the 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 the, the, the racial differences of just of certain scenarios and the cultures that come with the way we word questions and the way people respond to questions and the details they fill out. Um, definitely, is is something that requires those early discussions as as early as possible.
1: Yeah, and sometimes it can be about knowing what people want to prioritize and i remember i was working on one project that had um like a, a message board feature and i was like how are we going to do moderation how are people going to be able to block people all that kind of stuff and they were like why would they want to block people and i'm like <laughs> i could think of many reasons being a woman on the internet but because i knew that person could work with them for ages i was like all right what if your competitors come and start listing business from your from people on your website, and then they were like, "Oh, you know what? That's a good point. Let's get some spam controls and some block controls in." And it's like that was yeah. how I knew to have that conversation because I knew what was going to be a priority yeah. in their brain because they were so focused on getting things out the door. And so sometimes just having that kind of knowledge on how to talk to people in a language that yes, they yes, absolutely,
0: yeah, being to speak their language so can definitely help. Good. Ida, any more thoughts from you?
2: No, I think it. Yeah, keep them in mind, but that's for a lot of quality aspects. it's always the case. So it's especially, um, yeah. The, the, uh, but that is where whistleblowing is also helping. Um, is this something which is one of the quality aspects you should look into and and working in in the more social work or that those kind of areas? Then it's really a thing to think about. Um, and some other systems, it wouldn't be an issue. So so that's always the case for quality aspects is it one you need to address or do others have more priority Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah i agree okay um well i think we've still got enough time left i think we should go for the fourth card um you up for that
2: yeah of course yeah bring it on
0: cool okay let's um spin the wheel again Okay, and it's landed on a heuristic card, Starve. Explore heuristic. How does your app handle zeros and negatives? Take a fairly old mobile phone and open lots of apps, including the one you want to test. Now open another one. Your phone will most likely take resources from your app. How will it, how will it take this hit? So that example or otherwise, what are your thoughts on, you know, starving your app or what you're testing?
2: Well, I have an actual experience from one of my customers at this moment, which is a really old laptop, but doing some stuff on it, it is absolutely starving. Uh, but I get a new one next week, so that's not an issue anymore. Um, but, but yeah, it, it's the case. And, and especially with uh, with the transformation to mobile phones and especially Android, uh, the backwards compatibility and, and how does your app react and how does it impact your user experience? And you have to keep it in mind, but it's really difficult one also to simulate and to test it. Um, or you should do it manually and get that old um, uh, mobile phone. Um, but that's quite resource, uh, resource in, uh, intensive. So, uh, yeah, it's one to keep in mind, um, but also the case and how many, um, uh, uh, how many attention do, are you going to give it? And what are the requirements? What are the expectations? What is your user group? And is starvation an issue?
1: Yeah, definitely. i say I've um, had it in, I've been tested, I tested some Android apps and Android especially has a thing where, especially on older models, it will automatically close apps that are running in the background, which can be a bit of a nightmare if you need yours open in the background for whatever reason. So I think that's quite a good one, but again, um, as Ida was saying, it really depends on what your people are using. If you can figure out what your users are using, and is this a problem? Is this something you need to worry about? But I've only, I've only kind of experienced this in kind of mobile testing on Android specifically.
0: Yeah, okay. So just looking at um, other op- opportunities, options in the card here um, can you remove all records or columns from a table? What are you left with? Any experience of doing any kind of that with the database?
2: Well, applications most of the times are crashing when there is yeah. absolutely no yeah. data present, um, and it's it's an interesting one because uh, with old applications when there's no data, it, it, you have an instant crash because those are monoliths yeah. often, so directly connected to the database um, with the APIs. An API asking a question to a database and not getting getting something back is making this more difficult. And uh, to see how does the system behave in this one, but are certainly nice cases to uh, to try and to find out uh, which insights can we get from this situation and what does it tell us?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's a it's it's one of the things. It's almost a bit like chaos engineering just like what happens when I just take all this out and see what happens which can be a nice proxy for how resilient are we in general although from the work I've been doing I'm having a bit of a like my first thought is but if the data disappears what's happened to our data where's the data gone that's more concerning (laughs) Um, but that's just because security and privacy is kind of in my brain at the moment
2: cool Yeah, but then I would have a nice uh, exception report and not something weird happening. Mm -hmm, mm So those would be the cases indeed.
0: Cool. All right. Um, Well, that's the end of the the cards for today then. Thank you both for uh, taking part. Jem, did you have anything you wanted to share, plug, anything you're doing this year you want to talk about?
1: um well i'm hoping to be at a few conferences in europe fingers crossed fingers crossed <laughs> maybe i've got a couple of like a new talk that i'm putting together so fingers crossed i'll be able to do that and i'll be able to see Excellent. people in person um i can't remember if i mentioned that i work at Kazoo, but i work at gazoo and we are hiring if you are interested please come and reach out to me on twitter
0: with, with that as well then uh, contact detail linkedin twitter what how, how's best to contact you
1: um, yeah, I'm Jem Hill on LinkedIn. You should be able to find me. I'm Jem underscore Hill on Twitter. I'm open to communications on either platform.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Jem. And Ida?
2: Well, this year, yeah, I hope some conferences again, especially uh, Edge of Testing Days so, or, uh, indeed, uh, TestBest Netherlands is always nice. Um, so I'm looking forward to uh, to meeting up again. Um, we are thinking of a whistleblowing variant for threat modeling, so more in the security uh, uh, area. Also discussing that uh, with Beren, uh, and the Dutch translation also of uh, TestSphere we are working on. Uh, because my company KSD is also a partner for whistleblowing online, so yeah, that's a natural thing to do at this moment. Um, and also, we are hiring, uh, especially for the Dutch native speakers. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you're looking for something uh, and living in the Netherlands, uh, yeah, just give me a hit on uh, LinkedIn.
0: Cool, brilliant. Well, thank you both for joining today, um, and you um, really appreciate the conversations. Um, for anyone else listening, uh, if you're interested in being a guest on on this, then please reach out to me at fear pods or lead test include on twitter there is a form on the twitter feed that you can fill in and i'll put it in the show notes as well um, but thank you all for listening and we look forward to speaking to you again next month thanks bye thank you to the guests and thank you for listening for more information on testphere check out riskstormingonline.com or buy the card decks from the ministry of testing store music courtesy of zapsplat.com We'll see you for more Roulette again soon.